Star Wars 7x7, episode 934. Today it's a Rebels briefing for you. I'm looking at Trials of the Darksaber. This is season 3, episode 15 of the Rebels TV series. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Trisha Barr, author of Ultimate Star Wars and host of Fangirls Going Rogue. And you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey Rebel Rouser, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and let's get right into it. First of all, I will give you the official spoiler warning. This is a full spoiler podcast, so if you have not watched the episode and don't want it spoiled for you, then save this one for a later date. Otherwise, let's jump right in. Here's the plot in brief. Right now, the Rebellion needs additional help, and the Mandalorians could provide it, but they need somebody to sway the Mandalorians to their cause, and that could be none other than Sabine Wren, who now has possession of the Darksaber. Or sort of does, because she actually gave it to Kanan for safekeeping, and hasn't even mentioned it since she got it earlier in Season 3. But the Ghost Crew, with the help of the notorious Fen Rao, and also a big pitch-in from Hera on this one, managed to convince Sabine to take up the mantle of the Darksaber and head back to Mandalore to try to unite the houses under her rule. Because we find out that the Darksaber has a long and storied history. It was crafted by the first Mandalorian to be accepted into the Jedi Order, and once he passed away, they kept it in the Jedi Temple, which suggests that not a lot of Mandalorians ever made it to the Jedi Order. I don't know if that means that there were very few Force-sensitive Mandalorians. That seems unusual. You think you would get about as many Force-sensitive Mandalorians as any other species out there. Or any other planetary residents, I should say, since Mandalorians are human, so, you know, they're not just on Mandalore, they're elsewhere in the galaxy as well. But eventually, members of House Vishla stole it, and it was a member of House Vishla who had created the thing in the first place, if I didn't mention that to you. So they stole it and used it as the sort of Excalibur in ruling Mandalore. What happened to it in the hundreds of years prior to that, nobody yet knows. I'm sure Lucasfilm has an idea of its history. In fact, Dave Filoni himself probably does. Dave actually was the guy who wrote this episode, which might explain why it is as different from the rest of the season as it is. I'm sure there are dozens of interesting stories they could tell us about the history of the Darksaber, but let's stick with the contemporary one, which is the fact that it's taken up by Sabine Wren, who now has to actually learn to use this thing, because once she displays that she has the Darksaber, people will challenge her for it. This is a concept that was introduced to us in that mid-season trailer. So the bulk of the episode ends up being about training Sabine to use the Darksaber, which is a little strange because, as she notes, she's been trained in lots of different weapons and their use. And so, yeah, why does she necessarily need sword training? She is able to fight with a sword well enough. She just doesn't necessarily know Jedi training styles. And so now she's learning a different style of swordsmanship, or at least a few different styles, because it looks like she's learning a number of different forms of Jedi lightsaber combat. But interestingly, she's not doing her training with the Darksaber herself. She's doing it with wooden sticks. And this is a conscious choice made by Kanan, which he and Hera have to discuss. Look, Sabine is a capable warrior, in some ways more so than Ezra. But she can't or won't find balance within herself. Until she does, wielding an actual lightsaber is far too dangerous for her. 
By letting her pretend with that stick, you're only encouraging her not to commit to this. So this exchange is really fascinating to me because we're talking about granting a lightsaber, you know, even though it's a dark saber, that's what it's called. It is a lightsaber. It's just a version of a lightsaber called a dark saber. We're talking about giving that to somebody who is not a force user. And yet Kanan is talking about Jedi-like issues, like being able to find balance within oneself, and that that is a necessary component for Sabine to be able to wield the Darksaber, Jedi or not. I mean, it is a sword, just a more dangerous one, basically, you know, one that you can't let yourself get cut with. I mean, you can't let yourself get cut with any sword regardless, right? But... There's something more to using a lightsaber or a darksaber in this particular case, and it has to do with the Force. And so, therefore, it must be that the lightsaber itself, or the darksaber in this case, has a connection to the Force that goes beyond anything that its wielder might necessarily know. At least, that seems to be the implication that you can be a regular person who is not Force-sensitive, not a Force user, and yet you will still have a different relationship to this kind of weapon than you would to any other non-force-sensitive weapon. And that idea seems to be supported by Kanan later on in the episode when he gives Sabine the Darksaber for the first time in their training journey here and talks to her about her reaction to it. It's heavier than I thought. Energy constantly flows through the crystal. You're not fighting with a simple blade as much as you are directing a current of power. Your thoughts... Your actions, they become energy. They flow through the crystal as well and become a part of the blade. So yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be a force user, although I find it very interesting that a bunch of Converies showed up during this portion of the episode. And we know Converies are on this planet because we saw one perched on Bendu's shoulder in one of the original episodes from Season 3. And we also saw Convor famously at the end of Season 2, right after Ahsoka disappeared into the depths of the Sith Temple. Now, owls as spirit animals are often messengers of imminent change or transformation, and that certainly seems to be the case with what's about to happen with Sabine as a result of her being handed the Darksaber and challenged in a way that she hasn't been before by Kanan. But I want to go back a second and flag this part too. That conversation that Kanan and Hera are having, this is how it ends. So what do you want me to do? Give her the sword. Let her own it and who she is. Help Sabine face her demons. I don't know. I know you don't. But this isn't about you. And you know, she says that, but I don't think it's really the case. I think this episode is... Uh, okay, I won't say as much about Kanan as it is about Sabine, but it's certainly about Kanan to a significant degree because his training of Ezra and his ability to train Ezra, it's a lot different when he's trying to apply it to training Sabine. And, of course, it seems like they're trying to do it in a much smaller time frame. So, yeah, it's a different animal. And I think this is as much about Kanan learning to train in a different way. Because initially, Sabine has absolutely no interest in the way Kanan trains. In fact, she tells Ezra that Ezra must be really gifted because it's impossible to train with somebody like Kanan. But he's doing his best to figure out what the right way to train her is. I mean, earlier in the episode, he has a separate exchange with Hera, and this is part of it. Training sabers? You mean those sticks you and Zed made? I'm being careful. Were you careful with Ezra? I don't remember him fighting with a stick. Well, maybe I'm trying to do things differently this time. 
And later on in that same conversation, there's this. Sabine is blocked. Her mind is conflicted. She's so expressive and yet so tightly wound. She's so... Mandalorian. Ugh, very. Now, I know the episode really is about Sabine and about her growth and about realizing one potential destiny. I'm sure she did not anticipate the possibility of going back to Mandalore and uniting the families under her rule with the Darksaber, but it's certainly a destiny that is presenting itself under the circumstances, and so this really is about her owning that possibility and having to confront her past as she moves forward into that destiny. That being said, left to her own devices, Sabine is not going to pursue this destiny. She is not going to face the issues with her family, and she would just continue on working with the rebels and not even opening these doors. So it takes somebody who can actually help her open these doors and walk through them, and Kanan has to be a different kind of mentor to Sabine than he was to Ezra in order to make this happen which ultimately he does once they start training with the Darksaber itself. And we find out that Sabine actually has a much more shocking backstory than we ever knew. I built weapons. Terrible weapons! But the Empire used them on Mandalore. On friends. On family. People that I knew. They controlled us through fear. (laughs) Mandalore! Fear of weapons I helped create. I helped enslave my people. And all of this comes pouring out after Kanan has been taunting her about quitting and running and all of this stuff. And we finally understand that she tried to speak out against the weapons that she'd been creating and speak out against the Empire, but that her family actually sided with the Empire. And so she had no choice but to go away. So not only does she feel to blame for everything that's happened to the Mandalorians, but she's also on the outs from her family who basically said, okay, well, we're siding with the Empire anyway, despite all of the bad things that happened. And bizarrely enough, there's almost a bit of a parallel here to a story that we've mentioned on the podcast once or twice. It's The Shame of Segor Tells, and it's a story that Pablo Hidalgo has referenced a time or two in talking about the rebooting of the canon and things that happen in the name of telling stories and of getting certain visuals on screen and that sort of thing. Briefly, that story talks about a Quarren named Segertels that's an aquatic species that lives on the same planet with the Mon Calamari, and he hated the Mon Calamari and ultimately gave the Imperials the codes to be able to bypass the planetary shields and hopefully eliminate the Mon Calamari and raise the Quarren up to be more dominant on that planet. Of course, they ended up enslaving the whole darn planet, and oops, that didn't work out very well. In Sabine's case, she was proud to be part of the Imperial Academy at first, but apparently she was developing weapons that would end up being turned against her own people, and so in a similar fashion, she felt a shame that she tried to make amends for and unfortunately was cast out from her family and her clan and her house as a result. But now we know what the stakes are for when Sabine goes back to Mandalore, and that is going to be happening in the next episode, which unfortunately is not going to come out for another four weeks. We're going to have to wait until, I believe, it's February 18th before we get the next episode of Rebels. That's Legacy of Mandalore. And it seems like there's going to be some sort of resolution to 
whatever happens during that episode because the following episode is called Through Imperial Eyes and the logline for it suggests that it's going to be something related to trying to rescue Agent Callus, get him out away from the Imperials before the Imperials realize they have a spy in their midst. As for this episode, though, Trials of the Darksaber, personally, I really enjoyed this one. And, yeah, I'm big on the action ones. I really enjoy those a heck of a lot. But this one really developed itself well, I felt. I think if I had one complaint about it, it would be that it wasn't long enough for me, actually. I think I would have appreciated it being a double episode where we could have seen more of Sabine's training, more of the incremental growth that she made, and even more of the incremental growth that Kanan made in becoming a good mentor for Sabine specifically. I think a lot of those leaps in maturity happened very quickly, and that's okay. In a sense, you know, it had to get told within the 22 minutes, and I think they hit the points that they needed to hit in order to make it plausible, but yeah, I definitely would have enjoyed a much longer, much deeper exploration of it. And that is going to do it for my look at Trials of the Darksaber Season 3, Episode 15 of Rebels. Oh, did I mention the Bendu shows up, but really just kind of looks around like, hmm, and doesn't even say anything. So that was intriguing as well. Wonder what the Bendu is thinking about all of this. Hopefully we will get to find out at some point in the future. Now, we don't know what Bendu thought about it, but I'd love to know what you thought about it. So please do share your comments on the blog post for this show's episode at SW7x7.com. I've got your trivia question after the break, so stay tuned. Hey, Rebel Rouser. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you'd like to listen to a Star Wars story, too. Luckily, we've got just the thing for you. We've partnered with Audible to give you a free download and a free 30-day trial of their awesome service. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com SW7X7 to sign up and get your free download. They've got dozens of Star Wars titles. Anything you want to do to explore that galaxy far, far away. One more time for you, audibletrial.com SW7X7. Welcome back. So yesterday I asked you what Uncar Plutt yelled as he saw the Falcon flying away from Nima Outpost, and that's, that's mine! In today's question, what did Rey object so strenuously to when she and Finn were running around Nima Outpost trying to avoid Stormtrooper fire? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. Hey, before you get captured on Geonosis, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'd be spectacularly grateful if you put a little something in the tip jar at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a separatist trick, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2017, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.